once you have the vision of something you want to do, you just do it. Nothing should get in your way of doing that. I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, let's make it happen. And you'll make mistakes along the way. But at the end of the day, there's really no mistake when you're doing something for yourself. Perspective Podcast is fuel for your mind and creative grind. Each week, we break down the art of healthy hustling, overcoming the inner critic, and growing your creative business. What's going on? You're listening to episode 199 of the Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Scotty Russell of Perspective Collective, and my mission is to help you grow a fulfilling, profitable, and sustainable creative side hustle. At the end of each episode, I plug a listener of the week, so stick around to figure out how you can get a permanent shout out on a future episode. Today is the day where I drop the biggest, most time-intensive thing I've ever worked on to date. The Engage Community Building Blueprint video course is officially available for purchase worldwide over at engagecommunitycourse.com. Again, the cart is open right now, today, Wednesday the 13th. It opened at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and it's going to close Friday the 22nd at 12 a.m. Eastern Time, a.k.a. midnight. This is your step-by-step roadmap for growing a connected community composed of the right people who support you in your work. So if you're just starting off and trying to find confidence, clarity, and your creative pulse, this course is for you. Maybe you've been a player in the game, but you're looking to take your work more seriously, significantly boost engagement, grow a connected audience, and become a pro at promoting yourself. If so, this course is for you. This is seven modules and 45 lessons that's loaded with actionable tips, worksheets, reference examples, and more. Let me sweeten the pot. I have some pretty wicked bonuses, but the main enchilada dish is this 48-hour fast action bonus. If you purchase within the first 48 hours, aka Wednesday and Thursday, you're going to get access to the free month of group coaching that's taking place on the 25th of January through February 21st, and this is valued at $997. For the first time ever, also with my products, I'm offering a six-monthly payment option alongside my normal paid-in-full option to make this easier to access for everyone. Again, visit engagecommunitycourse.com to learn more, as well as lock in that 48-hour fast-action bonus. I would love to be your coach. And I officially, again, close up shop on Friday, January 22nd, because I won't reopen this course until late 2021, and I'm going to be revamping it and relaunching it at a higher price. So don't sleep on this as it's never going to be this low again. I hope to see you, and I hope to be your coach soon. If something's important to you, you're going to make time to do it. You're also down to patiently play the long game because you know shit takes time to grow. Enter today's bucket list guests, Doug and Jason of Morning Breath, who are owning the print game out of Brooklyn, New York. When they're not slaying work for brands like Stussy, Nike, Vans, Pepsi, and Adidas, to name a few, they're bringing their ideas to life by throwing down on personal projects, which tend to land them more big projects. Funny how that works. I had the pleasure of connecting with them at Crop Conference a few years back and honored to bring them to you today. Morning Breath and I chat about how their backstory and influences show up in their work, finding your crowd and building long-term community, showing the work you want to attract, making time to work on something that's important to you, keeping print alive in a modern world, and so much more. If you're a fan of the old school vibe with the new wave twist, then you're going to dig this. Trust me on this one. And before we get started, today's episode is brought to you by Garm Company. 
GARM stands for Graphic Artist Resource Merchant, and they're a newly boutique-style shop for designer tools, resources, and goods crafted together with some of the most talented designers in the game, like Kendrick Kidd, Jason Craig, Derek Castle, Tim Barron, Susanna Rios, and so many more. So many more people are lined up to drop products on their uh, site, too. Just, just wait. Just wait. You're going to love this. Their textures, brushes, fonts, and courses help you achieve that highly desired professional polish while saving you tons of time and not breaking your bank. And we want to hook you up by visiting garbcompany.com slash scotty, S-C-O-T-T-Y, not Scotty Pippen, Scotty with the Y, and using promo code PIZZA20 to take 20% off your purchase. This even works on sale items. Also, shout out to you Patreon supporters who financially back the show like my family at Iron Bean Coffee Company does. With as little as your weekly cup of coffee, you can help the show continue to survive and thrive, and your support directly goes into investing in the podcast team, equipment, as well as hosting costs. To learn more about how you can back the show and the rewards that you'll get for pledging, visit patreon.com slash perspective podcast. We couldn't do what we do without you. And as always, keep an open mind and act on anything that inspires you today. Let's go. PC family, we have Doug and Jason of Morning Breath on the show today. This is literally, as I mentioned to them before, it's been years in the making, and I'd love to officially welcome you both to the Perspective Podcast. How you guys doing today? Doing all right, man. Doing good. For those who don't know, which is crazy, can you give us a brief Wikipedia page summary about yourselves? So, Morning Breath. Let me actually, I'll pull it up right now on Wikipedia. No, we, <laughs> one day, right? Just edit your own shit in there, huh? We've been doing our thing. Jason and I met working at Think Skateboards back in the mid-90s. I think, what, 95, 96? Yeah, 95. And that's, you know, where we first kind of, you know, even started our style of collaborating. A lot of it would be, you know, I come from an illustration background. Jason was a traditional graphic designer. And we just started, you know, kind of, you know, collaborating on skateboards then in a way that is very similar to how we work today. You know, through the years we have worked on, you know, I guess starting, I mean, uh, slowed down a little bit, you know, worked at Think Skateboards for a few years. Jason had moved back to the East Coast because he was originally from New Jersey. I was, I'm originally from San Francisco. And over the time of being, you know, when he moved back, he started taking on a little more work in the music industry, a few other areas. and we kept in touch all that time and continued to collaborate. And guess what? In 2001, I made my way out here to New York with my family. And that's when we started Morning Breath. And the rest is pretty much, wouldn't say history yet, because we're still doing it, you know? What about your end, Jason? What's the skinny on you? Yeah, I mean, pretty much same thing. I'm, you know, went out to California, to San Francisco, got the job at the skateboard company, worked with a lot of talented artists. And I mean, I, we were, you know, one thing we always say is that that's, for me, that's where it started kind of meeting a lot of people that were like-minded to the way I was. And I think that connection is kind of how, where we got to today, where our community kind of grew, where it was a lot of skateboarders, a lot of graffiti writers, a lot of just people making art that weren't traditional artists. And they were figuring themselves out. There were some people started clothing brands, some people started skateboard companies, some people were being fine artists. And we were right in the middle of all that at the right time, right place, the mid nineties. I feel like a lot of people are kind of figuring themselves out. And some of those people to this day, we're still friends with that. We still collaborate with, still hire us, we hire them. I mean, that's a community that we developed in that during that time that really 
has blossomed into now 2020. Um, I can tell you where a lot of those people I met during those years, where they are now, and they're all doing great things as well. So I always say that we were just happening to be right, right place, right time with each other doing things and also developing at the right time. We both were kind of mastering what we were going to be doing. And I think that because we were doing meet, meeting each other, we were kind of constantly turning each other on to new stuff, whether it be my site design, Doug illustration, that just kind of was coming to a head. And the two of us kind of having very similar upbringings, um, you know, comic books and skateboarding and BMX bikes. And, you know, we're late seventies, early eighties kids when we were young and it developed a lot of our aesthetic of what we love and fell in love with. We grew up with records and like I said, comic books and cartoons, Hanna-Barbera and, you know, and it, it just kind of, when we met, it was like, what about this? What about that? And so when we started Morning Breath, but Doug, we're coming up on 20 years. It just is the same. We haven't changed a thing. We're still two guys in a room being creative and we come in every day and we try to bust our asses. That's about it. So I think one huge thing there that you guys briefly mentioned, but I think it's a huge deal. I talk about it all the time. Community and relationships are everything. Like you grow alongside people. You never know who's going to hire you, who's going to like take off and need to uh, work with you or collaborate with you or something like that. So the people you grew with in the 90s are still people that you fuck with today. Yeah, I mean, I have direct connections to a lot of things. You know, even when I came back to New York, I got a job at the place called The Drawing Board, which did all of, De I was, you know, the art directors of Def Jam Records. And I got that job from an old roommate I had in Brooklyn who was a graffiti writer, who knew a guy who was a graffiti writer, worked there. And so that direct connection got me there. And then still to this day, that guy who hired me, we're best friends with now. And it, and it, it just, had, we've done so many art shows together and different things together. So... Yeah, it keeps going and going. And like I said, there was people that worked with us that think skateboards that went on to start brands and worked at Nike and worked at Stussy and then Four Star and Chocolate Skateboards. And it just keeps on going and going. So as time goes on, that tree just gets bigger. Do either of you have like the fancy art school, design school degree? Both of us, pretty much. I mean, I went to school in San Francisco at uh, Academy of Art College to study illustration. And, you know, it's a funny thing, man. I think that I don't know if everybody who wants to get into graphic arts or, or design has the same experience, but I think early on, I, it's, I went that route for me because I don't think I knew better. I thought that was the only way to achieve it, which obviously now, I mean, retrospect with the, you know, the bills and everything you have with student loans, I mean, there could have been another way. But at that time, I think that I was encouraged more for the idea of like, if you're gonna have any success, you're gonna need this piece of paper. You know, you're gonna need a, a formal diploma and truth being told, man, I never had to show that diploma to anybody ever. I, I went to Pratt in you know New York and I only went for two years, but I feel like I, I needed to do that because originally I kind of probably wouldn't have taken that step in that direction if it wasn't for me going there and maybe starting my very beginning in my community of people. You made yourself take yourself seriously at least. Yeah, and like thinking I could maybe do it. Also, like when I went there, it was like the beginning stages of computers kind of like taking shape. Like I didn't, I went in there thinking I was going to be using my hands, like art, being an artist and being like a graphic artist. I was still in the mindset of like doing, I, really what I wanted to do is I wanted to be a marker cop guy for advertising agencies where you actually draw the ads with markers and do the concepts with people. I fell in love with that class. I really wanted that. But that was the dying at that time. Those computers were coming in. And so there were some teachers talking about computers, some people teaching traditional. So I kind of, when I started, it was like the two of those things were still kind of happening at once. And um, I think 
Illustrator just, I mean, it was, had been out, but it was just being introduced to me for the first time. But people, there's most of the teachers that were there still weren't using it. They were old school teachers at Pratt at that time. So they were still pushing a lot of stuff being done by hand. Yeah, I think also, you know, at that time, same, same with me. I mean, we were doing a lot of things traditionally, but computers started coming in. And a lot of the talk at that time were, was, you know, don't worry about computers. It's just a tool. They're not going to take over. They were trying to kind of ease everybody's fear of this. It's like the same people saying, hey, the internet's just a fad. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, I kind of took that to heart. And I think that as me personally started learning, you know, learning computers, I thought of it in just in that way as just another tool. So I think that even, you know, I know that you had an earlier conversation with Jason about how even though we do things traditionally, obviously things end up digitally, but I think that the way that we even approach technology is in a very kind of, you know, basic form that stays true to the way that we, you know, learn prior to the computers. Yeah, I mean, if you were to look at our still screen posters, the back end of how they look, it looks like it was cut with a razor blade because that's how, when we first doing skateboards, they were done with a ruby lift. Like you actually cut ruby lists for plates. And so we still use the key line black. And then in back of that black, we cut shapes as if it was an exacto blade in Photoshop, like which is the pointer tool. I'm sure other people do it in many different ways, but we still handling it as if I'm using a razor blade. That's just how, you know, how we use things very simply. See, and that's what fascinates me. And I think that's like what makes you guys specialists is from the area you came up in. And, you know, back in school, they would tell you, Hey, let's, let's, not, not not focus on just the strictly digital thing. So I would love to hear about like the transition from that era you guys got started in to like the era that we're in today where it is kind of a digital world. And how do you continually, I guess, I wouldn't say necessarily reinvent yourself because you guys keep doing what you're doing and it works, but bringing that old school vibe to this new school wave and kind of the trends that you see and where you guys continually, you know, fit in. I think that, you know, when we first started working together, I mean, at Think, I think that was the first time for myself, at least, professionally using, you know, using the computer and trying to learn it. I kind of used my time at Think to kind of learn on the job. And a lot of what we're doing was trying to just kind of figure things out. And when you go back that far, one thing I know for certain is Adobe Photoshop wasn't meant as an illustration tool. It was really just something that was created for photographers to enhance photographs. And there was no books on the market or anything that told you how to, you know, kind of make layers and create illustrations through Photoshop. These are all things that we played around with while we're at Think and we started figuring things out for ourselves. So I think that was really the beginning of like, okay, let's use this, like I said earlier, as a tool to kind of create graphic arts instead of using Photoshop, what it was meant for, for photographs, et cetera. And we just kind of continually evolved on that. And I think a lot of our conversations obviously have, you know, like we're saying earlier, have these ideas of like uh, nostalgia, thinking of things that were kids and, oh, that stuff looks so cool back then, or the way it was printed or the way, uh, you know, these illustrators simplified these little things. And I think so much of that has had you know, an effect on our, our aesthetic of kind of just for our own kicks, really. I mean, it was never really about creating an aesthetic that was marketable or something that we could, you know, make attractive for, for a client, but it was more something that we kind of got joy out of. How do you describe your aesthetic? 
you know, I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, a mishmash of, of kind of old and new. There definitely is a lot of nods to, to things that kind of have, I don't want to say, you know, retro, but for a better word, I guess, kind of a retro vibe, but we will do things that wouldn't necessarily be part of that wholesomeness when you think of that kind of stuff, you know? It's got like some grit undertone to it too. A little bit of, and also making things just kind of, you know, I guess from our generation of kind of the the derelictness and, and the degenerateness of skateboarding and graffiti and things of the, the 80s and 90s started incorporating a lot more of that into this kind of play on these wholesome graphics, these wholesome illustrations, starting with, you know, giving people broken teeth. They're doing things just that were a little more kind of grittier and fucked up with them. And I think that was kind of, I think, the beginning of us kind of starting to build on that. I'm sure Jace could kind of say more on that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we always say is that we're really inspired by printing. For one, we're print artists. We're, everything we do, I'd say 90% of it goes to paper. So right off the bat, me and Doug have always seen something that might have been printed, you know, in 1965 to 1981 and been like, oh, look at this. And the design might be really poor, but the, the printing part of it was really great or the colors we used it really great. So we would go back to our studio and we would make something inspired by that printing piece. And then we would decide what we're going to make from that point sometimes. So our inspiration comes from many different places, not necessarily actually the art or the look, but sometimes it can be just the way the paper feels. We're really hands-on in the sense where, you know, we still screen here in our studio, we make something, we want it to feel a certain way, we control it. We like the control aspect of making something. And so you can be called retro, but to me, I actually don't think it's retro at all. I actually think that we are doing something that's even, it's what you think would have happened during that time, but actually didn't happen during that time. We'll make a lot of graphics that in your mind you think came from that era, but actually no way it came from that era because we came, we know what stuff looked like back then. It actually didn't really look like that. We were actually bringing a lot of modern things into an old time. So it's kind of like this hodgepodge of both of them kind of coming as one. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we equate it to kind of, you know, a DJ who's digging through the crates and finding, you know, these little sounds and little samples and kind of putting it together to create something new. But a lot of it is, you know, just our remixes of things. That's a perfect way of putting it. I think that like articulates it perfectly. When did you like know you would found some type of aesthetic and how did it land like your first big deal? Like, holy shit, we kind of found this style vibing back and forth all by hand. And then it like led to that first client. You guys were like, wow, okay, yep. I think, I think we got something here. Can you go back to that moment? We were very fortunate that we were always, from the beginning of our design careers, were able to kind of do big jobs. We were very fortunate. So prior to Morning Breath having any kind of aesthetic, we already were doing huge name record, record covers for bands and for rap artists. I mean, prior, there's so much more priority for Morning Breath. I mean, I did the Eminem covers. I, yeah. We were, you know, we were doing, we had our hands and our foot in the door of a lot of people that were seeing things. So it wasn't about us finding our aesthetic. We knew we were going to get there. It was just a matter of, we were doing things behind the scenes always, but we were commercially doing a lot of design and illustration work that was really being seen. We just had to sneak it in and start showing And What we started learning was the more you show what you want is the more you're going to get what you want. When you show things that you don't want to do, you don't get things you want to do. 
So the more we started showing people, hey, by the way, we also do this. We started doing this. We made a, we had a book of our commercial work of all these album covers we were doing. And, you know, Kanye West we did and Jay-Z's and Foo Fighters and all these big bands. And we were art directing and designing and hiring photographers. We were full on creative directors, art directors doing that kind of work. But we also made a book of our personal work and we started showing more of that. Give a little plug on that. You're already beating me to it, but well, uh, what's your guys' book? I don't have it in front of me. It's over here, but I'll link it up in the show notes. We have the, uh, the Art of uh, Morning Breath, the Early Bird, and we have By the Skin of Our Teeth, the Art of Design. I don't have the first one. Okay. What we were showing was the book that we made was really, it was a scrapbook, which was really, you know, just kind of uh, a binder book with a silk screen cover that we put everything from sketches that we did on top of pizza boxes to small little silk screens. And it was all actual physical artwork. It was nothing that was like reprinted. It was things that we, we were drawing on and silk screening on. And we sent that out as an accompaniment to our actual portfolio. We started realizing that was what was getting people's interest. Getting more reaction. It was like the personal work scrapbook. How'd you send that out? Well, at that well, it's funny we have one right here. We used to do, we used to have to mail physical books, like these huge physical books, FedExing to people, and they, these were like these big, huge portfolios that we have. We have like four of them, yeah. and then we go to like London. Yeah, open that shit up. Let people see the goods. If, if if you're just listening to audio right now, better switch over to YouTube to check this shit out. Uh, it's so beat up. Yeah, like, these are like this pages are all ripped out of this thing. So you'd have to make copies each time and then ship that out along with like your professional commercial work like from like europe to la and books with like you know just pages and pages of album artwork de la soa saw talib quali papa roach yeah very much before people were really even looking at our website yeah this is like a big website but you weren't morning breath before this or this was this this is all morning breath breath. okay yep eminem what was that curtain close eminem but the thing is, you know, we, so what I'm getting at is that we had a, we had a really good, you know, intro to people to show them things. You know, when you have access to people that are making the big commercial work, it's only a matter of time that you're going to be like, Hey, let me show you something else. And then at that point, I mean, we'll both agree. It was Queens of Stone Age. You know, we developed relations with their manager and we had our first book and we had some stuff in there that were these characters drawn and, it got put in front of Josh from Queens of Sonic. She loved it. And it kind of went from there. And that was like the first commercial job like that. We feel like we put our aesthetic on where people saw it and they knew it was ours. And then it grew from there. I mean, really, like I said earlier, like what you show is what you get. I mean, the minute we started, we saw that door cracked open. We just kicked it. And from that point on, we've been pretty much doing what we want to do. So the Queen of the Stone Age was like the first little glimpse and you kicked that door open. Because when I think of your guys' aesthetic and style, I don't think about any of that other stuff. You have cemented and taken over my brain with this. Uh, I'd like to call it, I feel like your work is serious as hell, but it just looks like play. With that like kind of retro-ish, but modern gritty vibe to it. Yeah, and I think also with that, what was going on, we were starting to spend more time in our studio creating physical pieces. We started showing work for the first time. We started having shows and and gallery style, gallery shows and stuff like that, which that also just added to our commercial work. And did you just just do that? You were just like, "Fuck it, one day I want to just have a gallery." You got we got enough pieces to show, like, and you, you know, enough connections or relationships. I prefer to say, and you just like let's make it happen. Yeah, I mean, people started asking us, and then more and more. 
we, you know, we had a big studio where we were painting and printmaking. And again, skateboarding was all silkscreen. Those skateboard decks used to be silkscreen. So we, our whole beginning process was about silkscreen. There's a big core of it. Light to dark, very simple colors. And you still see it in our work today. We really only use two, three colors. And that's because we were together. We've always been in that mindset of like, oh, less is more. You know, two, three colors, silkscreen. Let's keep it simple. And so we started working our studio the same way, making paintings and and more and more and more and more. And then people started asking. And once people ask, again, what you show is what you get. You start showing more of that and you start getting more yeah. of that. And you know, it's right time as well. Things started happening, I think, you know, for a lot of lot of artists at that time that there was this growing kind of commercial interest in studio artists and street artists. And everybody was kind of eager to put together these artist collaborations. You know, and there was this moment where I felt like everywhere you turned, you saw we saw other artists that we knew or peers of ours that were also part of this. It was just this thing that was happening where every company had their brand times the artists, whether it was uh, clothing collaborations or, you know, something, it's whatever other kind of product. I mean, it could have been a, you know, beauty product or a sneaker or anything like that, putting together these collaborations with, uh, with commercial artists and as well as gallery artists. Also skateboarding got popular. And so we got, a, you know, the minute you're a skateboard artist that kind of started following that wave. And then all of a sudden, you know, Coca-Cola cares about skateboard artists. And then, you know, um, iced tea companies want you to do something. And it just starts growing. And all of a sudden you work with this music artist and that music artist really cares about the clothing fashion of skateboarding, finds out you do that. Oh, you did this for Stussy? Oh, well, we should be doing this together. And it just keeps going and going and going. And somehow something you, you know, we've always worked on anything we've ever done, always got us our next job. And so whatever I'm doing now, I plan on getting my next job. And that's kind of how it's been for us. It's been a ladder where whatever we're working on at the moment, we're thinking the side that, okay, this is something that's gonna get us a job in a year from now. And it just keeps going and going. And that's kind of been the trick of Morning Breath, which is just keep it moving, you know, keep it moving. I like that. So like, that's not always the case for many people. And maybe it's because of lack of execution or how to properly work and build relationships with clients. Like, what do you think are like the keys of how to create work that continues to get you more work under promise over deliver? That's always been my main thing with someone. A lot of it, you know, how the, you know, the saying goes, right. It's, you know, it's, it's who, you know, right. But how do you get to know these people? It starts with who you meet. And I think people who go out there, they put themselves in the mix and they meet with people that might not instantly translate into work for them, but depending on where the people they meet end up and they continue these relationships with people that could be work two years down the road, three years, five years. I mean, we have people, I have people even now that I haven't spoke to for 25 years talking about, you know, possible new projects. So, I mean, it's, you never know where it's going to come from, but it always does come from somewhere you, someone you met along the way. Yeah, and also a lot of relationships we've had were before Instagram. Now, with Instagram, it feels like the relationships are, you, you know people, but you never met them. You know, and so I guess a lot of younger people have the access of DMing and doing all these things from when we first started. It was like, got in a magazine. Got your little Rolodex of contacts. You know, like we would be in Juxtables Magazine and then someone would call us like, oh, I saw Juxtables Magazine, I'm in Australia. And you're like, oh, cool. You know, like everything was moving much slower. Now I feel things, you know, we put something up or sure if anybody out there puts something on Instagram, you're immediately getting like this immediate thing, right? Someone's contacting you immediately. So, and, and but the bad thing about it is that it disappears quick too. So you made something you put a lot of work into, you put it up on Instagram and 
you make your printed piece, but Instagram, it, a lot of people see it, but within two days, no one cares. Short afterlife kind of thing. Yeah. Where we used to do things and it would live a really long time because we'd have magazine calls. It would take a long time for that magazine to get somewhere and that person see it. So I think that we, the reason why we can do it now is because we had, we have a long history of doing it. You know, it's not, we always say like a lot of people say, we want to do what you do. And I'm like, yo, there's a lot of good people out there, but do it in 20 years. That's the thing. You got to give shit time to grow. And in this microwave era where we're living in, where everybody wants to be a TikTok celebrity overnight. I think that's why I really wanted you on the show to like show the history of this shit just doesn't happen overnight. And, and also, you know, like a, going back to Jason's point, like, you know, people would ask us, oh, like, how do you get into doing skateboards? And, you know, I don't know if that was ever my personal goal. I didn't go out after it. It's just where you end up sometimes. And, and you know, I think that there's people out there that do a lot of things and they just somehow that was just where they landed. They didn't seek it in the same way. I think that when you become really specific on what you want, it's possible, but it also sets up for more, um, you know, kind of failure. I mean, you just got to be open, take what you want. It might be something you never thought of doing, but you start doing it and you realize that, that's exactly where you wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also a firm believer that things are meant to be. And I, and I truly believe that I went to California and I wound up in the skateboard community of doing art and things because that was all, I, that was what I was meant to do. You know what I mean? Like, we're not corporate guys. We couldn't go walk. I couldn't so walk into some design office. And, you know, we don't speak like those people. We don't hang out like those people. We went out and found our crowd. And this is the crowd that, fortunately, came up and did a lot of amazing things. And some people went up in some really far places and wound up becoming creative directors at some really great spots. But our generation of kids were a little bit kind of high school dropout-ish. And, you know, and so uh, there was a lot of really creative people in that world. And we were fortunate that we just all found each other, how I see it. You know, we come from the generation, like my high school, there was only, a, if you're a punk rocker, you find out a punk rocker. And, and so, it's, it's similar to me in this art world that we, we all found each other. And San Francisco at that time was a hub. A lot of creative people were moving to and doing a lot of things. Doug was lucky that he was from there. For me, I went out there because, I don't know, I wanted to check something out new. I always admired California as a child and the lifestyle and things. But I knew somehow within that city that I was going to, I wanted to meet, you know, fucking people that thought how I thought. And so I was just lucky that it went somewhere. I think what you said right there is find your crowd and another thing, is another angle is like, don't force it. Allow shit to just like flow. I'm a big like trust the universe, law of attraction, go with my gut kind of guy. So yeah, I can definitely get behind that. Then to this day, how do you guys balance commercial work with personal work? And especially during a pandemic, I don't know what it's like in a commercialized world right now with are people wanting to spend money right now. And maybe I should say prioritize. How do you prioritize between the two? Priority for us, I mean, is going to be money, money to some extent. I mean, New York is just is what it is, a very expensive place to be, and we don't have a choice. You know, we both have families, both have a lot of uh, overhead in our lives, so yeah, we, we need to pay bills. But in terms of balancing commercial work and creative work, I mean, I think that it just comes when we want it. There might be times where we're just not really feeling super creative or don't have this thing that we really want to do but any given year there might be just a moment of something sparks and 
in either one of us that has this idea of like, oh, you don't be sick if we just did this. You know, we're, we're starting to put something together. And I think that excitement comes back around. And I think we make the time for that when we want to do it. I mean, it, it hasn't, you know, like early on in our careers when we were really trying to push that, I mean, it would get crazy to the point where we're, you know, in the studio 16, 17 hours balancing commercial work. I think that we've probably have slowed down a bit since then. But nevertheless, I think that if we have, you know, I guess these bugs to want to do something that's personal and creative, we just do it. And sometimes, you know, it might get in the way of kind of, you know, making deadlines a little tight, but you got to make yourself happy as well. Like, you know, I mean, it's like right now, you know, you know, Jason's been putting in a lot of work on the zine that we have coming out. And I know that for him, it's just like, get here early. I really want to put this together. It's put a lot into it. And I think that's just kind of how things work around here. I think that something in him felt like, you know, I need to put this energy into this and I'm there as like support, <laughs> back it up. But, you know, it's either one of us at any moment can have those kind of feelings, you know? If you want to do something, you will make the time to do it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, really, this is, for we, you know, we built a, a clubhouse. Our studio is our clubhouse where we come to create and to come to do what we want. And some days that's, it might be talking all day. Some days it might be quiet, both of us working on something. Some days it might be one person working, the other person kind of, you know, that's what, that's the lifestyle, that, again, that we wanted to create. We, we both have said this. When we were children, we were kids. We envisioned having this. I envisioned having this. I built my room to look like this. My teenage room looked like my studio. I had my paint markers and my art things and my things on the wall. And I had my posters that I wanted to look a certain way. And I envisioned having this. So for me, it was like, the minute I can visualize it, I can make it happen. So it makes no difference to me whether it's me envisioning my studio when I'm 50 years old or when it's making a zine or whether it's doing a silkscreen poster. Like once you have the vision of something you want to do, you just do it. And there's really no, nothing should get in your way of doing that. I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, let's make it happen. And you'll make mistakes along the way. But at the end of the day, there's really no mistake when you're doing something for yourself. As far as commercial work, that's how we pay our bills. We come in, we, we, usually the first thing we say, what do we got to take care of today? What's the fire drill? Every day there's a fire drill, something that has to happen at morning breath, we'll take care of it. And that's just how it works. And me and Doug will both give each other that job of who's better at maybe handling it more. Or, but for me and Doug, morning breath commercially, or it's about the job, okay? Together we just take care of it. This needs to happen professionally like anything else. Talk about the zine. I know we had briefly talked a little bit about it, but I wanted to save it for this. Like, tell me, hype it up, man. I'm, I'm here to put it on the stage for you. It's all made by hand. Go figure. <laughs> They're very unique. We've made one before. They sell out in seconds. Is it all like repurposed work or like literally custom work, new new work? I don't want to really give it up, but it's, 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 it's our way of showing things that have been on our table throughout the year. And so we make it this elaborate package. Like, you know, it's hand-sewn spines and um, silk-screened posters and covers. And um, we have all kinds of little special things in there and stuff. I mean, you know, it's something that I'm a zine collector. I collect zines, so I want to be a part of that and kind of contribute to that as well creatively. We have a local shop here called Dessert Island that does amazing stuff, and I plan on giving them limited amounts there to support their shop because we really love what they do. Are you making each one then by hand? I cut everyone myself. Jeez. How many total are you making? 
There's about 15,000 cuts. <laughs> oh my God. There's what, 100 and, 125 of them. 125. 125 total? When you drop them? I don't know. I mean, that's the best part about doing it yourself. You kind of do it when you want. I'm just at the, we're at the finishing line. So I would say it's probably coming out. Like it'll be for sale in like the next two weeks. Okay. Well, we're going to be speaking in the future here. So sorry, everybody listening right now. You just missed it. But man, can I pay you to hold one for me, please? Take my money. Take my money. But what time do you come into the office right now to work on this? I, I'm going to like build this little timeline for people who just, I, the biggest excuse I hear is, I just don't have time to make time to grind and execute on something that's important to me. You know, I, I have my day job and a family, life responsibilities, yada, yada, yada. You just hear all these excuses. So I want to hear it from you. Like, how are you making time? What's your schedule look like to make this happen? We're fortunate that this is our day job. There is no other job. Morning breath is 100% we're in. And whatever that day system doing, we do. Um, so that is, morning breath is our job. That's it. We put all our energy into morning breath. It's all about morning breath. It's like you mentioned, it's like a band. The guitarist, the vocalist, we, we come together, we're making a record. You know, like we make this thing. So, uh, you know, normally we get in, I don't know, I get around like 10, leave around I get in about 3.30 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, we were both fortunate. We both walked to our studio. We were walking distance to our studio. So there's nights I come here at 11 o'clock at night because I want to do something. I don't know. It's my garage. It's kind of where we come to do shit. So, but Monday through Friday, we try to do a, de- a decent Monday through Friday, let's say 11 to 7, probably. Yeah, we've somehow we've uh, adopted the California hours out here. Is that just like where most of your clients and stuff? So it works early on. It started out that way. And I think it just worked to kind of keep those hours. And also New York is very known for starting late and ending late. So you get to see your kiddos in the morning and finish the night hanging with the fam. Yeah. I mean, our kids are older now, so they're kind of in their rooms telling us to go away. But when our kids were younger, we tried the, the hours curve. Like Doug had said, before I had children, you would do till four in the morning. I'm not lying. We'd be here till four in the morning. That's how it was. Shit, I was. You had to rip me away from my my work if before I had kiddos, pissing my wife off all the time. And then once once the you know the family started becoming more of a priority, you know we have other things outside of that are way more important than obviously even morning breath. So that changed it. We kind of gave ourselves a schedule. And I think like Doug had mentioned, as we get a little older, you you tend to want the schedule to be a little more normal. So if something's important to you, you make time for it. So like I guess what I'm trying to say is. You still have commercial work. You still have all the other shit, but you, this zine is important to you. Self-initiated. No one's asking you to do it. No clients giving you a brief about it. It's just, you're just making time to do it outside of the normal realms of the work you already have. You have your day job. To me, this is like, you're making time for personal work, even if it's under the umbrella of morning breath. Yeah. I mean, but then again, we get commercial work where I just did a pop rock flyer for the food fire. So, I mean, you know, we, that zine actually is, part of us getting work to as well. I do because I love it, but I'm hoping that someone sees something in it that I want to do for them maybe commercially, or I want to do that full time always. So if someone sees something in it, you know, the whole point of doing something is also getting it out there to the world to see it. And so that also can be an avenue of maybe doing something more you love. I mean, you want to be a silkscreen artist or poster guy, go make a bunch of posters, start showing it, right? And then eventually some bands can see your poster and be like, yo, do that for me. And then you're like, okay, you just did your first poster for a band. And then after that, show that poster to a bunch of other bands. They're like, look, I just did the new Fu Manchu record. And then that person will say, oh, wow, I'm the Melvins. I want you to do my poster. And then it goes and it goes and goes and it grows. And now you got 10 posters 
a little book of all your posters and you hand it out to people and they go, oh, why don't you do more? Now you're doing 25 posters. Yeah, you know, and a can company for a soda company likes those screen posters too and likes the band you do the work for and he bought it at the concert and he sees who did it. And then he says, I want you to do a design for our can company for the new Pepsi bottle. Now you're making real money. You know what I mean? So it just, it all started off with just making a poster in your room. Also to add even, you know, there's things that we need, we need to keep ourselves motivated and entertained here. And sometimes we're doing work that needs to be done, but it's not always the funnest work. The pay the bills work, the kind of shit you're not going to show. And sometimes it's just not that, you know, we hate doing it. It's just not, our heart's not in it in the same way as something personal. So not only do we need to balance, you know, work and personal work, but we got to balance, you know, our attention and our love for, for design and our energy. And, you know, I could, you know, kind of attest to even right now, Jay's working on the zine because the progress is motivating him. It's that idea you're doing something and it's coming along the way that you like and you don't want to stop. So it's kind of like, well, work could take a little bit of a backseat right now because you got to do something that's personal and important to you to, to keep you excited about what we do. Creatively fulfilling. Yeah. And then on top of that, like we're very supportive of each other where I'm doing that and that's making us not a dime. But Doug is working on like a Qbert record, which is making income into the studio. But we both know that they're both equally as important to put out there. And he might be then later doing something that he wants to do. And now I'm doing something that's commercial. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're, we really are really unselfish <laughs> in the sense that it's like, we really are supportive. I mean, and I'm not saying that clichely, like me and Doug never really argue about design. It's kind of like- yeah, We argue about things outside. We argue about other <laughs> It's really silly. It's like we have, we're like, you know- Like what you, album is better than another album? Yeah, I mean, know? like we really just, you know, I don't know, we're really supportive in doing things, so. Even just how you guys flow back and forth in the conversation here, like I don't have to guide anything. It's just, you know, it's not one person be like, okay, you want to go? Like I've had plenty of shit like that. Literally it's- Cohesive, in sync. Our wives joke about it. We go to parties. And sometimes we're like talking to people and we end up somehow still talking to each other. Doing a whole room of people. It's like, we only, you know, when you work with someone for so long, for so many years in a room, you tend to only know each other's jokes. You know what I mean? Like you can almost, I could go out there and tell Doug's story when he was a kid. Meanwhile, I realized I'm telling his story. Like, they were so <laughs> intertwined with each other that it's creepy almost level, you know, so. Shit, I think it's dope. I mean, it's kind of, you know, we're, we're isolated. <laughs> Especially during a pandemic that you just extra see each other and your families. That's about it. And you're in New York too. So it's a lot more stricter. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Well, not just that. It's just dead. You got dead. Not New York anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm, I'm happy to be in the Midwest and things like this. A little Iowa, a little Iowa. So uh, I want to respect your time. Let's pivot to rapid fire questions real quick. If you guys were on death row, what would your last slice of pizza be? Joe's Pizza. Dominoes. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll fuck with some Dominoes, though. I, I like me some Dominoes. Frozen DiGiorno. Frozen. Oh, true gangster. Okay, that's like some some munchy food for sure. Oh, uh, quick on Wonder Bread. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> some pizza sauce and some shredded cheese on some bread. That that was me growing up. Uh, I used to be the pizza king. Like, I was a big pizza. Like, when I was back in the 90s, like, everyone joked to me, I was like the pizza, like, like, like I was the pizza dude. I was the pizza zine. I started a pizza zine. I never finished it. Oh, please do that. I need to see that manifested into this world. Writing stuff. I had a guy who got 
in California, there's a three strike law. I know you're doing the thing, but listen, three strike law. And he would, he robbed the pizza guy at a pizza delivery guy. And he got a third strike, went to life in prison over stealing pizza. I had all these people's interviews about pizza that were like this weird pizza stuff. It was called pizza face. That was the name of the zine. Can you resurrect it? No, I sent the <laughs> files. I need to finish it. Maybe please, I'll- please do it. I'll promote that on the show and just treat it as a sponsor and be like, Hey, it's coming out. Like that's just part of the brand. And honestly, uh, um, rapid fire usually turns into tangent. So this shit really isn't rapid fire anyway. If you were both reincarnated, what would your new career path be outside of just like art and design? I'd be a juggler. I don't mind. Don't on that route. Or a a mime. (laughs) (laughs) Like real talk. I can't take you serious now right now. I would have a, uh, I would have a record store. Me, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd like I'll to answer Doug's. Doug, have a, Doug would have a little taco stand. Yeah, maybe a little taco stand. Okay, okay. I'm going to answer Doug's in that one. <laughs> and, okay, okay. Uh, what's your favorite record? And what would your taco truck, taco stand be called? I want to hear you argue, basically. Like, what's the top record? What's your top vinyl? I'd say that my top playing records that I play are probably, like, you know, Led Zeppelin Houses of the Whole. But... I don't know. I mean, I go through years and years of records I'd love for a year, and I go back and forth. There's years that I was like, only want to hear Black Sabbath. A lot of it falls into probably classic rock and, and classic soul. And that's within those genres. I have, I guess, multiple favorites, but I don't know if there's one. It's too tough of a question. I refuse to answer that question. All right. Well, it's your world. We're just living in it right now. So do you believe in aliens or any type of life form or paranormal just like existing within this planet or our solar system? I don't believe in it at all, but I dream about it regularly. <laughs> and I, I have these dreams that I swear to God, I, I know what an alien invasion is going to feel like because I've been through so many of them and they're so fucking real that I wake up like, holy shit, that's exactly what it will feel like. Like, like Independence Day style of just a massive ship coming out of the sky. That shit freaks me. I dream of that. It always feels like, no one else is believing it at the moment until they have to accept that this is it. It's fucking finally happened. So I guess, I don't know. I, I don't believe it when I'm awake, but I fucking believe it when I'm asleep. Even though like the Pentagon officially like released footage of this kind of stuff. I do believe. Yeah. I mean, okay. there's something, but I don't know if it's alien as much as it is just like men in black style. I gotcha. Let's see. Let's see. Last one before we go on the main last one. Uh, you guys share where can people find you. What's a project you guys haven't done yet? Like, what's like the big gold dream project you just haven't manifested yet or haven't made into reality? What is like that one thing you guys want to do? You know, I don't know. A lot of times I think that one that comes up, at least for me, and I bring it up and always hope that one day we get this type of project is something that, uh, be a commercial project, doesn't have to be personal, but something that is heavily environmental like show like you know something that you know sometimes we're like oh I wish we did something that took over the whole subway station or took over and interacted with the environment in a way that like you know you see sometimes other artists that are fortunate enough to have those kind of projects we've had stuff that you know obviously is on a billboard or things like that or on you know bus shelters or on ads but something that is created in a way that is deliberately specific for the space like, I wouldn't mind getting a project that took over not only a subway station, but whole trains. Just almost like our art and everything we're doing, like made specifically for the trains, so they interact in a way that 
interact with them inside and out and with the station as well, like that sort of thing. I'm surprised you didn't say this one, so I'm gonna say it. And I know after I say it, it'll be um, the intro to a really big, big movie, like doing the intro sure. titles yeah. to a movie that is a great movie, creatively a great movie, and that we can really go to town and do what Morning Breath does, like our thing, and give completely creative freedom on doing the intro to a movie. Yeah, all the motion graphics. Motion graphics. Dope. Well, um, one last thing. Where can people go to follow you online, support you, scope out for a future zine, maybe a pizza one? Check out our website at morningbreathinc.com. We never updated. Our Instagram at at morningbreathinc. Our Twitter at morning (laughs) underscore. I just followed you on Twitter this morning. I'm like, damn, this is like a ghost town. (laughs) (laughs) We actually, I needed to throw it out. We don't use anything really, but uh, we probably Instagram is the one we're the most active. Instagram and website is pretty much linked up, but Instagram is where I keep a pulse on what you're doing. At morningbreathinc.com. At Jason at morningbreathinc.com. I'll plug the emails in there too. I only have uh, uh, Jason's, but I think Doug's is pretty easy to figure out. But um, thank you. I appreciate the hell out of this. Like (laughs) years in the making. I really, really, really sincerely appreciate it. I know people are going to get a lot of value and I can get this one checked off my bucket list. So I appreciate you guys. Right on, man. All right. Appreciate you guys. Peace. Take care, man. I think. PC family, I hope you enjoyed this chat today with Doug and Jason of Morning Breath. Do what you do best. Take a screenshot or a video of you working to this in the background and make sure to tag both Morning Breath and I on your Instagram stories so we can reshare the love back. Also, you're incredible about this. The guests, you have no idea how many times guests hit me up to let me know that you are the best listeners out there for the appreciation and the love that you connect and share with them. So make sure to reach out to Morning Breath and let them know what your biggest takeaway was. For real, the guests appreciate this more than you will ever know. That's why you're the best listener. That's why you're the PC fam. And don't forget, you can find all resources and references we talked about linked up in the full show notes. And if the show has helped you along your creative grind at any point, could you do me a solid and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? Not only does this help the show climb the charts in the arts design category, but more importantly, it staples you in as a future listener of the week. And today's listener of the week is titled, Scotty is the Real Deal. And it comes from Everyday Creative from Australia, from down under, mate. Maybe that sounds like London. I don't know. Let me let me continue. I've been a regular listener to this podcast for the last few years, and Scotty is passionate about everything he does, facts, He has a genuine desire to help everyone get the most out of their creativity, and I've loved watching him pivot recently to become a business coach. His guests always bring value, and he's super interested in every discussion. Hell yeah. That means the world to me, Mr. Everyday, Creative, or Miss, or Non-Gender. I'm getting better at all of this inclusivity. Uh, Just know I sincerely appreciate you and for you taking the time to leave that review. And you can leave a review on whatever platform you're on that allows it, and I can start seeing them now. So I can give you a review, regardless if it helps the show climb the Apple or podcast or iTunes charts. I can still read your stuff and give you a plug. And as we sign off, a huge shout out to my podcast editor, Anya Brennan, executive assistant, Paige Garland, video specialist, Colton Bacher, social media coordinator, Hannah Schick, and Nick Jenkins of Blucher for all the dope theme music you hear on this show. And as you finish off your week strong, I want to encourage you to keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and keep creating. You got this in episode 200 next week. Let's go. Let's go.